You're listening to DraftKings Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. If you really don't want to drink, we understand, yes. but at least have a good snack. There you yes. go. If you have both. That's even better. At least have a good snack. I don't know what's legal where you are. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah, have a good time. We're just here to hang out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. I am back from the wilderness and tundra um, and i am delighted to be back with one of the people who works with the most integrity both in terms of standing up for what's right and representing the stories that are there to tell and that is the athletics sarah sivian sarah how are you today just another day in paradise with integrity covering the carolina hurricanes with that song that's like life's so fun life's so fun that's, that's how i feel <laughs> I do not know that song, Sarah, but we'll go with it. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> and also joining us, as always, is our intrepid designer of merch, creator of great hair, and provider of all the stats you might ever need, and that is Shayna Goldman from The Athletic. Shayna, say hi. 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 Well, it is great to be back. <laughs> um, shout out to Sarah Sivian, host of The Most, while I was on the trail. <laughs> rocking it out like a queen that she is very impressive stuff see i'm i'm, I'm not even needed to be here anymore y'all oh please we we're falling apart <laughs> we're cracking up the whole time. <laughs> i know we actually didn't have to add any edits within it just like cut off the start cut off the end which last time we forgot a fuck mary kill and we were like wait we had the <laughs> list of notes for you this time like we were more on it because we knew we had to be well, you guys were you guys were awesome, keeping everyone up to date with the hockey happenings, and that is what we are back for here again today. As always, we start with Sarah's very favorite segment, and that is a bit of news. Here we go. <laughs> drum, I like roll, the drum roll. That's no, that's the new sound effect. Fuck it, like a bing or anything. The drum roll. Just a, the most awkwardly timed drum roll. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. Going around the league first, um, just a bigger picture bit on news. This comes to us courtesy of our great friend and lead of hockey data work at SMT, and that is Andrew Thomas, um, at ACThomasCA on Twitter. And he made sure to elevate that there are two jobs with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, they are hiring two spots in their new look analytics systems hockey research department. And that is first a director of hockey systems and a senior analyst. And both of those jobs can be found on the site that the NHL uses for all their jobs. That is teamwork online. I think it's a big vote of confidence that Andrew, who is someone who we know uh, works with a great deal of integrity in his work is promoting, um, as he says in his words, a new look 
um, for this department, particularly for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Shane, any comments here other than just want people to know those jobs are out there? Yeah, it's interesting to see the growth of hockey analytics departments. It's something Allison and I have been talking about a lot. And I, like, it's nice to see different titles. Director of Hockey Systems, I don't think, is one we've seen before. You know, a lot of the times it's like system developer, analytics, like the Islanders, all four analytics titles. Analytics. <laughs> analytics, what do you do? Analytics. <laughs> um, <laughs> the job on your resume, I work for the New York Islanders, what do you do? Analytics. analytics. <laughs> but it's just any any growth is a good thing. Um, we're going to talk about this more. We I have something coming out about the state of hockey analytics with a certain someone quoted in it on this lovely podcast. But no, more growth is good growth. You got. Yeah, Sarah. I loved writing that story with you. Co-authored by Sarah Simeon. <laughs> it's my uh, forte, so I'm applying to that job. Nobody else applies. <laughs> Sarah Sivian, analytics. <laughs> Sarah, any thoughts on the Chicago jobs? No, that's great. Um, love to see more jobs like this open up. You can check. Shana always updates a little chart about who is working in hockey analytics. It's pretty cool to see that grow. 100%. 100%. Now we just need to see more women and people of color included on that list as well. So particularly those groups, if you are, if your interest is peaked, check out those job postings. Um, all right, continuing on, Biddo News. <laughs> it's so good. In, in a shocking development, oh my gosh, Dadnov, y'all. He's been traded again, and this time it might be for real. In a cap strategy move, Vegas has moved that player over to Montreal in exchange for Shea Weber, who unfortunately is not expected to be playing in the NHL again due to a laundry list um, of injuries and just hardships on his body. Um, but first and foremost, before we get into breaking down the trade, hello, Rangoon. Before we get into breaking down the trade, Sarah, you really loved how the Ducks responded to this. And in, to bring people's memory back, uh, the Knights tried to trade Dadnov there at the deadline and could not because after the fact, the player had to self-advocate and say, hey, wait a minute. Anaheim was on my do not trade list, and apparently all the organizations forgot this fun fact. But Sarah, you liked how the Ducks reacted to this. Tell us about it. Yeah, they simply responded, you sure? <laughs> because obviously, as Allison just said, uh, it was not sure last time. And that went, not a lot of things go viral in hockey. So that went viral, and I wanted to just say, like, it wasn't punching down on anybody. It was kind of making fun of a franchise that is not always the bad, like the Twitter of the Golden Knights. I love the guy who does it, but it's just kind of like a little corny. So everybody loved that. It was like an inside joke type thing. So sometimes I feel like hockey accounts try too hard to be like whatever bestie or like try to be like one of us when they aren't. But that was kind of a good example of what to do. Social media managers take note. Shayna, what do you think of the move itself? I think Dadanoff's like an actually very good player. And like, obviously this is like, Hey, it's the consequence of Vegas's actions. Like they have to do something because they can't manage money very well in Vegas. Who knew who among us could do that in <laughs> Vegas? Well, um, but it's, this is a definitely a win for Montreal because they get a good player who they could flip for future assets. I'm sure at the deadline we'll see him move because they're going to keep retooling. I don't even know if they want to call it like 
a full-blown rebuild because that term is, you can't say it in Montreal. But I want to give a lot of credit to Dadunov, how he handled everything then. And, like, I'm curious how things are now, like, what he's thinking. You know, he was in a shit situation where he stayed on Vegas when they clearly wanted to move him. And he just kept producing for them. He was such an important player for them. And I think he took it in stride and handled it well and, you know, advocated for himself. You earned those terms in your contract at the end of the day. That's something you might get to give up cap space or term. So you deserve it, and you you should get to say, wait a second, like, I get a choice here. Now, what's interesting is some have speculated that this may not be the player's final landing spot, that he might get moved again because it's not necessarily a fit um, with where, where Montreal is in terms of their roster and also their plan for when they're going to hopefully contend again. Sarah, yes or no, is Dadnov on the Habs roster opening night of the 2022 season? No, and I think we're going to see a lot of moves kind of like this because everyone is so cap-strapped. So it's like we're going to see, like we did with Max Domi's situation where someone's taking some of the salary and then you're getting a discounted player who can make an impact. Shayna, yes or no? Is he a hab when the season starts? No, I think he'll be on a team that thinks that they're a playoff caliber team at some sort of discount on his cap. Well, there you yeah, have it, folks. The Vegas Golden Knights could have used him. <laughs> well, he was like one of the only ones producing after the deadline, too. Yeah. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. All right. Well, good for him, um, as Shayna said, standing up for what he wanted. And now he'll just roll around the league a little bit this offseason. We'll see where he lands. Um, we, You two did an excellent job of talking about um, the Knights' newest coach last episode. Um, we already know that uh, Cassidy is there um, for the foreseeable future. Has any more come to light for you two since our last episode on that coaching decision, or are we still pretty good with, with what we think is going to happen? I, I think I'm better with it than before. Like, I was thinking about fits for the Golden Knights, what they need, and it's interesting because we've already seen two different head coaches, and I think, like, DeBoer did have value in Vegas. I think the way he worked on their breakouts was good. Um because they had that up-tempo offense, you know, play that they could, you know, create off the rush. But they definitely lack the dimension that I feel like that roster should have had. So I'm, I'm just intrigued to see what Cassidy is going to do. Because I think they don't generate offense, you know, off sustained zone time. And I think that's so impressive, like important to have like pressure off the cycle. So I'm curious how that works and how like their defense is going to like adjust. Because in the last year we saw Robin Leonard face a ton of rebound shots and that was a problem with flurry the year before but flurry was a better puck handler if i remember correct so it was like it'll be interesting to see how that changes but a big thing's going to be the power play like that was what killed vegas the last two years like their power play sucked despite the personnel they had and obviously injuries played into it this last year but it's something like cassidy loves to manage so i'm curious how that goes like they're they're a great team when you look at the roster and i think he has more depth now up front than he had with boston so it's it'll be good because like this was someone that did spend six years with Boston. How often do we see someone spend six years with the same team? I, I'm really curious like how it, you know, translates to a new team. That's exactly what I was gonna say. I think it's a good case study to see it, what actually was the problem with Boston. Like if we didn't know and we didn't think it was management then, if they blow it now, now we kind of will know. I think it'll be interesting to see him without kind of a Tuka Rask. I mean, he's always had Rask except for like the end of his tenure in Boston. So I feel like that has something to do with what happened with the Bruins. And I, I, we aren't really talking about that enough. So we'll see 
how Bruce does. Um, he said he liked the vibe in Vegas. That was pretty cute. I just, I, it was weird to see him in Vegas clothes. Like he's just such a Bruin, and he's always been the coach of the Bruins. So it really will be interesting to see what the different variables are there. At least it's not too different of a color scheme, right? Like yeah. it's still a little yeah. kind of in the same family. We'll, we'll like when someone goes from green to like orange. Yeah, exactly. Like that's a lot. Um, the other thing is he did a good job with Brad Martian and Patrice Bergeron. I mean, we look at, I think, credit to the players because they're incredible, but I think that he managed them well. So I really do want to see like Mark Stone's one of the best two-way players in the world. Uh, granted, he's healthy and that's obviously been a problem. I want to see how, you know, he handles this coaching change. And a player like, you know, Will Carlson, like, while Bill had that incredible season, everyone's going to focus on his goal scoring, which it was lucky, it was skill, but, like, I think we had to, like, temper expectations. And, like, he's still such a good defensive center. Like, this seems like a really good fit for him if those things from Boston carry over. Yeah, Cassidy loves the two-way guys, so that'll be interesting. Shana, you should write that, how, how Cassidy influences some of the best two-way players in the league. There you go. Hmm. You're welcome. You know what? Boom. That's some good off-season content. I'm writing that down. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. <laughs> All right. Well, Cassidy had to fill someone's spot. Look, she's actually typing it, friends. We'll pretend that she's writing wow. it down. <laughs> so <laughs> she is writing it down, friends. She is writing it down. So uh, Cassidy filled a spot um, vacated by Pete DeBoer, and we found out, or we believe it to be true, um, as of this recording, it has not officially been announced by the club, but all signs point to Pete DeBoer headed to be the next head coach of the Dallas Stars. Um, and there seems to be mixed reaction to this amongst hockey Twitter. Honestly, it seems kind of bland. I mean, even people who have opinions, they're kind of like lukewarm opinions. They're, they're, they're medium takes. They're not the hot takes that we live for. Uh, Sarah, what do you think about DeBoer going to Dallas? Dallas is just such a weird, like, blah team to me. There's not, like, a thing about them, right? So it's hard for me to, to have, a, have a bead on where this is going to go. What do you think? That's exactly how I feel about Dallas, and I've tried to check myself. Like, is it my East Coast bias or whatever it is? Is it the weird um, time zone they're in? But I don't – they are just boring, and I think DeBoer, he's fine, but is – it just also, to me, exposes the lack of creativity in these coaching searches. It's like you look at this list of five men and draw a stick and just pick one of them. Like, it's like, and I get it, but that's why it's good to see kind of Jessica Campbell and other people getting their names out there. So maybe in 10 years, it won't be the same five people. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we keep harping on this point for sure, and we'll hit on it again this episode, but... And a lot of people have made this point. If you look at the two teams in the final, John Cooper and Jared Bednar did not have NHL experience at all before taking on the jobs that they're in. And they've had the opportunity to grow into them. And, and now they're here. And that's very, very oversimplified. But it's a point that I think still should be acknowledged. Shayna, DeBoer to Dallas, your thoughts? It's, it's a choice. <laughs> it is a choice. Um, you look at what DeBoer's done and like he was with New Jersey forever. He was with San Jose and then he was with Vegas. And I don't feel like he's grown that much between 10 years that I'm going throw him another job immediately. Like he granted, he hasn't as, had as much time to legitimately like step back, reassess and figure out what to do. Like San Jose to Vegas was a really quick transition. But like, why? 
I don't, I don't, I think Dallas has gone for the traditional route and Rick Bonus is the prime example of that. He is as traditional as it gets for a coach and this team doesn't need improved defense that he could bring. They need offense and that's not DeBoer's strong suit at all. You need that you have more than one line and you could say, well, Joe Pavelski did so well under him, so whatever, but it's like, Joe Pavelski's thriving the last two years under Rick Bonus, who's one of the worst offensive coaches in the league. Joe Pavelski is not the player to focus on. Like, I think Dallas needs to, like, seriously look at themselves and figure out what they want their identity to be because we know them to be this defensive team, sure, and they are good defensively, and now they have Jake Ottinger, who is this excellent goalie that's really, like, coming to his own, but you have this core, and, you know, one of them's a veteran in Joe Pavelski. You have Rupe Hintz, Jason Robertson, and Miro Heiskanen, and I feel like that's what they should want their foundation to be and build from there and find a coach who can maximize those players and you know obviously some of their contracts are gonna keep them from changing the roster too much that's what happens when they signed players in their late 20s and early 30s and it was like that's gonna look bad in a few years and it did but Radulov left you still have Jamie Ben. you still have Tyler Sagan but there's potential around that and obviously they're gonna hope that players from their minor leagues can come up and thrive and DeBoer's not a good coach at handling those players you know we're going to talk about torts and do you want to turn every player into a back checker and things like that. But for DeBoer, it does feel like if you aren't defensively sound, you're not going to get those minutes. You're going to get buried lower in the lineup. So do you want that for every up and coming Dallas player when they need offense at the end of the day, even if it's a riskier play, you have the defensive structure in place. You want to find that blend from the old system and the new system. And it just doesn't seem like this new system is going to you know, reinvent the wheel at all. There were so many other options to go with. What do you have to lose? Instead, you go with someone whose name's been out there because he's had playoff success. What does he want? If that's the game we're going to play, or why don't you look at what other teams are doing? Like, it just seems like they're going to be stuck in this weird gear even longer than they've been. It is kind of wild how much, I mean, I guess it's obvious, but how much coaching um, opportunities are driven by playoff success or lack thereof when it's like they just have these rosters that they're trying their best to work with and some of the rosters are good and some aren't. It's like I, I feel like there's so much emphasis on playoff success when, I don't know, I think about the Hurricanes' recent run and there was two game sevens. Like those are coin tosses and then you're like basing an entire – off-season of moves and coaching on this like it just is wild to really think about sometimes it's such a good point and it's crazy you know and I think it bleeds to and we're going to get to this individual but John Torridorella always said reputations are made in the playoffs and it's almost like it's just because that's when people everybody pays attention right like in the season you've got 32 fan bases paying attention to their own team and now everyone has to pay attention to a smaller group and right wrong or indifferent that is what ends up being your narrative, I guess. So, but I agree, Sarah, it's such a huge point. Like, why are we looking at just that? When we know that that's when uh, variability is most evident as opposed to what an actual team or player is all about. Um, all right, so that brings us to our fine friend and Shana teased in the last episode that I was like, you can't do the deep dive without me on this one. No, um, we need the John Tortorella correspondent, <laughs> Allison Lucan. Let's go. Let's go. Tell us Allison, all about him. Allison, um, somebody, Steph Driver, our, our girl from yeah. SB Nation in Philly, um, everybody's kind of criticizing this move, and we'll get into that, but she, after his press conference, she goes, oh, no, I'm starting to like him. So does See? that kind of describe how he is and he wins people over? That absolutely. And I, th- and you know, we talk, it's, it's funny to me because I'm actually, there's so many things I'm curious about here because to, this is now Torts' third Metro team. 
Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting, particularly for Columbus fans. How are they going to react? Because Columbus fans hate Philly, uh, the team. And how are they going to react now that the, a coach that they have loved is going to come into the city behind a new bench and wearing that orange? And honestly, look, hockey aside, that color combo, I cannot. I cannot with it. It's um, Halloween vibes. It is. Like, it is. And I don't like, you know, the jerseys are good, but when they, the, their most recent ones, when they have the black nameplates. Yeah, I, I it's so, and then they have the black jersey with the orange nameplate. It's like, just, just do the lettering. And if you're worried that it'll be too much contrast, like, add a gray trim. Add, <laughs> this is not hard. Just, just, I don't know, like, it, it looks like you slapped a piece of tape on yes. and then wrote yes. the player's name. And it's like, is this minor league hockey or the NHL? This is not the look <laughs> you should keep. Especially for such a storied franchise. It's so true. It's so true. But yes, so John Tortorella um, is the newest head coach of the Flyers. Um, I teased him that it was a great birthday gift because in total embarrass him mode, his birthday is coming up this week. So happy birthday, John Tortorella. Um, he'll hate me for that. Not that he, of course he listens to too many men. Of course, of course he listens. Number one <laughs> subscriber. <laughs> but no, I mean, here's, I will say this first and foremost, and it's, so, Sarah, you said this, you know, Steph's comment. Like, I remember when Torts was hired by Columbus, and I was actually on a plane going to um, a charity event that I do every year, and someone texted me, good luck. And I had no idea what was happening because I was on a plane. And um, that was when Torts got hired. And it was such a completely different experience than all the narratives. And I think it's, it's funny, but it's also slightly frustrating to me, honestly. Like, the same reaction was happening um, right as I was literally going off the grid, everyone starts reacting. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? Like, I, no, thank God I have to turn off my phone. Um, but like, everyone's like, he's going to do this. He yells at players. I, here's my thing, people. Do some research. And also, if I will give $100 to someone who can show me a media availability in Columbus where he yelled at the media or evidence that he all he does is yell at players in the locker room because those were the things I kept hearing on socials like he's all he does is berate his players and da, 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 da. prove it now we know in past history he's been that way but show me in his most recent tenure where that happened and people are hanging on to old narratives so I encourage you to do your research please um, but torts is has been very interesting so he did have um, a shaky performance in Vancouver everyone knows that but then for people who don't know it was that summer after he was let go that he and Mike Sullivan sat down and had a project. And they went through and documented what they thought every scoring chance was in the NHL and came up with a definition for what a scoring chance was. Because people may not remember, but back then in the league, all coaches talked about was shots. Shot, 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 shots. And it was actually Torts and Mike Sullivan who then when they first met when Torts was now in Columbus and Sully was in Pittsburgh... It was the first time we started hearing in post-game comments the term scoring chances. So, again, if you talk about a coach who's looking to do things differently, John Tortorella is trying. Um, he is well-read on the subject of pulling the goaltender and started to do that earlier. He had his team starting to shoot on empty nets um, in late in games based on advice from the analytical department in Columbus. Um, he obviously worked with Brad Shaw on architecting the most, I think it's still finished. The, the, is it still the most historically strong, Shayna? Or did Carolina surpass it this year at the end of the season? I think Columbus is still. I think I think Columbus still is, but we should check that. We'll check. They're, they're one I of the top the two. I think the Canes fell off at the end. Yeah. I could be wrong, but. 
one of the top two of recent history, um, most aggressive power kills in league history. Um, and this is a guy, too, who he may say shit about players, but those players will tell you that they've already heard it. And that's one of the things the players appreciate is that he's always going to protect them and he's not going to say anything publicly he hasn't already said to the player to their face. They may not like it, but he's always honest. And if you translate that to Philly, you know, from what I'm seeing, it's that underlying foundation that is what Philadelphia, I think, thinks they need right now, which is a standard of performance, a standard of preparation that turns your skill into results-driven behavior that gets your team where it needs to be on the score sheet. And I've talked for like 10 minutes. What else should we talk about with torts? <laughs> I think okay. like the... Okay, Shani, you can go. No, 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 you go. Okay. I've just, from what I've heard in Philly, I don't know why I'm a Flyers insider, but I've just heard that the, <laughs> a lot of the young guys not have attitude problems, but are very kind of entitled. And this happens when you have a really bad team with kind of younger star. It's just something that happens, right? Like it, you, you got to... They got to stand up for themselves or whatever it is, but I think some of them need a reality check. Um, so I, I think Torts is probably that guy. Like, it makes sense. And um, Cam Atkinson tweeted LFG. So LFG? LFG. Shayna, <laughs> your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think with Philly, they've had an interesting experience with Vigneault, who it seemed like, during like the pandemic when players especially the young guys remember hearing things about that like the young guys were struggling and having a hard time and you know it's not like you could go out and do things after after practice like you went to work you went home and if you didn't have a family or anything tough shit and it didn't feel like they had that coach and mentor presence to kind of bond them and sure you could say it's not your job but at the end of the day like you are what a lot of these players have they are here without their families without their friends and now they can't do anything and I think people wouldn't pinpoint torts to be someone good in that situation but I think absolutely he could be if anyone can protect his players in a sense I feel like it's torts and kind of bond them maybe in a different way and you know I watched him first as a fan in New York and when he got fired it was then that for the first time it felt like he threw players under the bus in a press conference I remember it was Carl Hagelin and it was like that that's a mistake and shortly after he went to Vancouver and I think he even admit he shouldn't have taken the job in Vancouver he should have stepped back then he didn't um people are so accepting to Mike Sullivan when he went to Pittsburgh and you know obviously went to the AHL first but like you know if we could say Mike Sullivan can change and he absolutely did from his time with Tortorella I think Tortorella can as well and I think he showed that in Columbus and I think that not only did he change his ways, and sure, he still has bad takes. The thing about Trevor Zegris that goes viral or, you know, the McDavid versus Barkoff, those are hot takes. We all have them. And I think everyone focuses on that instead of anything else that he says. He he doesn't want it that, like, every single player becomes this defensive, you know, forward. And he lets players play to his strengths. You could talk about how he coached Artemi Panarin, um, you know, especially in the playoffs. That's something that maybe doesn't get enough attention he didn't always have the most skilled teams in Columbus and he made them greater than the sum of their parts and he made them a hard-working team and he protects his players in the media for the most part people you know a lot of media members after his time in New York were harsh on him because they felt like they weren't getting the answers that they wanted and he didn't give a shit it's not his fucking problem that you have to write a story he has to do his job and manage his locker room and that's how he chose to do it 
and the attention went on him instead of his team that a lot of the time in his tenure wasn't that good. He didn't have amazing rosters. He had elite goaltending, and he built up a core, and a lot of players, I'm sure you could ask Ryan Callahan, you know, what a credit Tortorella was to their career. So I just think if we're going to keep recycling coaches, maybe the coaches that do take the time to look at themselves and change their ways are the ones that should be getting more emphasis, and he fits into that box. But you talk about Panarin because we have talked about this before. <laughs> How do you coach Panarin in the playoffs? And we look at what happened this year and things like that. You saw firsthand Panarin in the playoffs in Columbus. Yeah, and before that, Shana, you just said something super huge, and I'll let everyone in on a big old secret with Torts, is watch when he gets upset about something. Who is he protecting? He's often protecting a player who did have a bad game or made a mistake. He will he will draw attention to himself to deflect attention from someone who needs to be protected in this moment. And the other thing I'll say too is the only time I've seen him frustrated with a reporter is when a reporter asks a stupid question. Like honestly, which you people, did not do. I love that. <laughs> like no. Do you, Go ahead. Watch his press conferences, though. I've said it before. When you would ask him a question, I loved this because for work, I'd get to watch the post games, and you know who watches the Columbus Blue Jackets post game? And it's me everyone. Game. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> and when they were when they were in the playoffs, you know they would be on TV, but otherwise. And I would love it when you would ask him a question, and I like that he didn't just rapid fire and answer back like, "Oh, what's the status of this player?" He's like, "I don't know. I'll let you know when I do." move on like and you'd ask him and I loved how he would pause and you would see him actually think about an answer and then give you something and it was like I I loved it because it felt like he you made him think and that's why like I'm so excited to see what Charlie does because I feel like he's someone that's gonna ask those questions that there's like an actual good premise behind him like you just have to be thoughtful with it and he'll give you a thoughtful answer to he'll give you an answer I think that matches the strength of the question well said. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because Torts' thing always in Columbus, particularly when Panarin was there, because he was probably the most gifted offensive player that Tortorella had there during his tenure, um, was, listen, we're going to be sound defensively, and whatever you want to do offensively, go. Like, just go. And, you know, that's why we just saw such crazy creative things from Panarin, and I think Panarin really enjoyed being able to drive what he wanted to do and what he wanted his teammates to do um, because there was some freedom. Now, is there value to having maybe a little more structure? Possibly. Does that potentially impact the power play? Possibly, because that's one area where Torts hasn't always been strong, um, or his teams, I should say, and that's in the power play, so that's something to watch. But yeah, this is not a guy who's like, now he does believe in playing defensively responsibly, but that doesn't mean it's like, left wing lock like but like Barry Trotz coaches a far more boring style of hockey <laughs> than John Tortorella does um but yeah I'm excited to see what's going to happen there I think I think it's a really interesting fit and I think it could be a lot of fun um to see what happens and like and uh like Sarah said you know Cam Atkinson is a player whose career basically was allowed to become what it was because of John Tortorella he was scratched the last game of for the Columbus Blue Jackets before Torts came in. And now he's a multi-year all-star, has had multi-30 goal season. Like he's just, he's now Cam Atkinson because in large part to the opportunity John Tortorella gave him. So anything else we want to talk about with Torts? We'll continue to touch on that, I'm sure. I just want to see who his assistants will be. We oh, look yeah. at last year, you know, it was Vigneault, Michelle Terry, and Mike Yo, all three failed head coaches all together did 
let's call it what it is, a fucking horrible job, <laughs> which is why all of them are out of work, rightfully so, right now. And hopefully those names don't get recycled too soon because I think yeah. all of them have a lot to learn about coaching at this level. And, um, you know, we look at Mike Sullivan, what he's become, and Brad Shaw, who I think should be in the conversation for head coaching jobs. And obviously we know Brad Larson is the head coach of the Blue Jackets right now. You know, this is a really big opportunity for an assistant coach. It's like when we talk about, like, star – okay, you guys don't. I do. When we talk about star wrestlers who have the belt, <laughs> <laughs> I always look at someone's championship as how do they elevate whoever they're going up against, whether they just go against the same people and it's boring, or if they get, like, a let – you know, someone smaller get a good match and you're like, wow, they held their own with this person. So that's like where my brain went with this. Like if there's a good assistant coach who sticks with him and does well, like what does their future look like? Because we already see it. Mike Sullivan, Stanley Cup winning coach. I'm sure he'll credit a lot of it to John Tortorella and the opportunity he had there and what he learned since. And then Bradshaw, the same thing. So maybe this will bring in another up and coming coach that we hope to see. I would like to see, speaking of Mike Sullivan, um, in Wilkes-Barre Scranton, Mike Vellucci, he's somebody that reminds me of both of them. I think, I don't know if Torts knows him at all, but I feel like that would be a really good fit. So that's something I'd like to see. I'm throwing that out there. Sarah, I am for, you just have these deep picks for coaches, and I love it. <laughs> I do. I love it. It's so strong. Well, I Secret always say we insider. need new coaches, so I'm like, why don't I actually research who would be a good new coach? <laughs> whoa, so, whoa, 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 whoa. You decided to research before having an opinion? For we once, talk? yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. This is, is that allowed in this sport? I thought you were just in supposed to In this economy? Tweet in this economy. <laughs> Gotta be careful. You never know who's coming after you for saying what these days. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll wrap up our coaching. We spent a lot of time on this, but this is good. Uh, wrapping up our coaching carousel, Barry Trotz still uh, does not have a landing spot, and originally he was kind of viewed as the first domino that would fall just real quick, any thoughts on where he might end up given the seats that are being filled versus what's still open, Sarah? Trot, trot to Boston. I'm not, Ooh. I don't actually think that's happening. <laughs> I just wanted to say it. I think, I want to, maybe he's going to do a wild card and be in a front office because I know that was on the table. So I know that he's giving, what did he say, till July 1st to decide what he wants to do. I, I respect that of him. Take your time. Um, all the, jobs might fill up though so that's kind of I'm sure he's talking to people off the record and stuff but I I think David Quinn is going to Boston so then it's like no offense but what the hell are you doing and I know Shana has experience with David Quinn I do too I covered him at BU a little bit I love him he has great hair I'm just like I don't know how that translates in the NHL and we saw it translate not well with the Rangers so I don't know what they're doing but Trot, trot to... Trot, trot. trot what do you think, Shayna? Trot, trot to dot, 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 where? I still think Winnipeg makes the most sense. Yeah. Like, they're the team that hasn't moved. And if you look at it, any team that's a perfect... I think the, the perfect situation for Trots is what he walked into with the Islanders, which is a team that has offensive firepower. Maybe they need a little bit of adjustment with it, but they have offense. They need work on the back end with their defense and goaltending because he tends to bring Mitch Korn with him. And, you know, even though he's moved up to a higher role than just um, a goalie coach, we know the influence in Nashville. We know it in Washington. We know it with the Islanders. So I think that's, you know, an interesting thing. And you look at Winnipeg and it's like they're a very good offensive team, but their forwards are 
shit defensively. There's no other way to put it. It's not just their defense needs help, but the forwards need help. So it feels like that offensive capability that they have paired with his, his defense would be really good for, like, the thing is, it's going to be good for a couple of years until it isn't, and then the cycle starts again where they need more offense, which is where the Islanders are now. And on David Quinn quickly, I think that David Quinn has potential. I think that I think he did not have strong enough tacticians with him in New York until the last year he had Gord Murphy. Um, no, I'm sorry, he had uh, uh, Martin, uh, Martin from Pittsburgh who did the penalty kill and defense. I think that they really needed a new offensive uh, assistant, whether they had promoted Knobloch or went somewhere else. And that was kind of what I did want to see for the Rangers. Just another year of Quinn plus new X's and O's coaches because he's not. If you can get him a staff that is so up and coming on, on actual tactics, I think you have something there. If not, I think he's more suited for an assistant's role than a head coach right now. I think that he needs more work from where he started and obviously he had a shit roster in New York there are things with his coaching that he does need to adjust I don't think we saw that happen at the national level where he's been coaching now so it's either get him perfect assistance to build a stronger bench or let him be an assistant and learn a little bit more about coaching at this level yeah I know I'm kind of yeah I was kind of harsh there he and Jordan Greenway have a really great relationship you were totally (laughs) fair in your like I'm being nice about it after I was not for a while and I think with BU I think he did a lot of good things and he was more interested in the numbers at BU than it felt like he was in New York and like Greenway you were talking about like it he's you were right I think thanks um I think that um he the pressure might have been just too much in New York. That's insane. You go to that big stage immediately. So, I mean, I do – I totally agree he has potential too, and I would like to see it, but maybe like in a sm- – I don't know. Who knows what's going on, but it's not my fish to fry, so I'll sit here and see what happens. <laughs> well, the coaching carousel continues, and isn't it interesting that we have so much more to talk about there than, than other stuff, which is good. It's good stuff. We'll continue to follow – um, who lands where, and uh, hopefully maybe in the offseason we can get some coaches to come talk to us at the Too Many Men pod. We'll see what we can do. Um, we, Allison, text <clears throat> Torts and tell him we need him. Yeah, he, the man who Call loves. Call Torts up. He loves, he, loves <laughs> he loves to be on podcasts. I'll ask the Canes PR if I can ask Rod to come on the podcast because them's the rules. Amazing. Please do. Please do. Um, all right, we, do, uh, we are going to get to hockey people, we promise, but really quickly – Um, we unfortunately have something that's too important to pass up and we wanted to draw some attention to um, this morning. um, A story is out on The Athletic, co-authored by what is really quickly becoming one of the most powerhouse reporting teams. These are three people who I have tremendous respect for and that is Katie Strang, Dan Robeson, and Ian Mendez. And uh, they have released a story today. Um, You can find it on The Athletic about sexual violence being embedded in junior hockey culture. Um, I tweeted out the link this morning. I'm sure we'll put it out under um, the show's account, Um, but it is a necessary read. And you know, a lot of times when I have conversations offline about what's going on in hockey culture, um, there is a huge element that things happen at the NHL level because this is what players were taught at the earliest entry point of hockey, of what it means to be a hockey player. And that includes how you act off the ice. And that includes how you interact with 
drinking, with any sort of substances, with women, with people of color. And so that is why issues like this are so important. There's some really disturbing stuff in there. Um, and it's a pretty brutal read, but I think it's important. Um, and for me, it just continues to show how far we have to go and how, again, we have people who've grown up in this culture now reinforcing it and creating this feedback loop of toxicity that we must break. This is why it's so important to change the coaching voices, to change the front office voices, because right, wrong, or indifferent, this lifestyle, this perspective on this is what hockey is, um, just cannot stand. It's hurting too many people. Um, I know this just came out this morning. Sarah and Shane, I know we've talked about it. I'm going to probably read it a couple more times to really get all the lessons out of it. But Sarah, did you have any initial thoughts on this article from The Athletic? Yeah, just what you said about the feedback loop is so true. Just like, I think the authors did a good job of conveying that and all the examples in the past of what, like, they're tangible examples of the culture that says, oh, brush it to the side, or oh, this didn't happen, or oh, she's easy, or something like that. And then years later, it comes out that she actually was brutally assaulted and things like like, And it has to, it just shows you need so much evidence when all these scenarios like if you don't even have like if you don't have a completely airtight story which we need to learn more about how survivors process things like this because they're not always going to have an airtight story because you're literally going through ptsd or something like that and i i just think i mean that obviously adds to the trauma um i like that they talked to brenda tracy who's been a huge advocate i know her around here from college football so that she is an awesome person and a survivor herself and talking about the culture of these sports that just it's kind of like frats too it's like the hive mind and it perpetuates this violence and it's just oh it's just like what how many more stories like this are we gonna have to hear until the cycle changes Shana. so I, it's so sad how many instances are cited in here, and that just scratches the surface. But I think it's so important that all of those were highlighted because the jumping off point is what's going on with Hockey Canada right now, and that is important. But it's it's so clear that this is not a one-off if anybody wants to write it off as such, which we'll hear all the time. Well, this never happens and blah, blah, blah. It's a systematic problem. It's happening. And it's so important that players don't get different treatment because they're players even if they're gold medalists on hockey canada or in the minor whatever it may be we see it all the time look at reed boucher who just signed with the khl this man is getting to continue his playing career even though you know he has multiple things out against him and uh, i believe katie wrote about his situation in depth as well and i you know definitely read it it's, it's tough to get through all these but it's so important that they're read understood because there's no way to learn from it unless you break down what's gone wrong all these years. So as we talk a lot about what's going on with Hockey Canada, and I'm sure that we will, and who swept the, you know swept this under the rug in the way that they did, and how everything happened, it's so important to remember this is not a one-time thing. This has happened at so many levels, and it's not just when they're adults. It's when they're younger, and if you say, well, they were just kids, then 
who who wants kids behaving this way it you know there was some there was a line in the story they were saying that they need to you know workshop with players when they're younger maybe 15 or 16 and I think there was a line saying like no it should be when they're 12 and 13 and younger than that because it's being instilled at the very grassroots level and by the time it gets to you know it, it it can be stopped so much sooner players have to be you know taught this it's so important not to say hey make sure you don't get yourself in a bad situation like you're the ones causing the situation so um definitely just keep reading all the content that comes out about this as hard as it may be take the time to read it take the time to learn from it um and when people say something believe them (laughs) i know like i believe believe survivors when they come out and don't just tear them down and think that they're doing this to ruin someone's career like they're the 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 People's lives are more important than someone's fucking hockey career. Yep, yep. And, you know, I can't believe that it is 2022 and we still have to say this, but so much of this has absolutely nothing to do with the sexual acts that are being performed. This is an exercise in abuse of power, um, and that is what makes this so disturbing. Um, But, yes, uh, believe those who come out with their stories because I, you know, sharing these stories demands an amount of strength that many of us cannot imagine. So, uh, yes, please read that story. Please continue to challenge what you think you know and what you think you believe about um, different stories. All right. In the most awkward topic switch ever, we're going to the Stanley Cup final uh, vibe check. We are two games in. And just as everyone predicted, (laughs) the Avalanche are up 2-0. Excuse me. Coming off what was one of the largest margins of victory in the Stanley Cup Finals history since playoffs went to to 16 teams, which is the 79-80 season. This stat is courtesy of friend of the pod, Prashant Iyer. The 7-0 shutout by Colorado of Tampa in Game 2 is tied for second in that largest margin of victory um, in all Stanley Cup Final games. That's pretty incredible. And, you know, I think I was honestly pretty surprised that that is what came out after a game that was forced to overtime. I thought it was going to be at least a challenge. I thought we'd see some sort of rebound from Tampa. But at the same time, I'm not willing to count Tampa out because it was after two games against the Rangers when John Cooper looked concerned, Tampa Bay looked tired, Tampa Bay looked done, and then look what happened. So here we are, two games in. One game that you two have already broken down that we discussed kept kind of close, and now we have this massive shutout. Play returns to Tampa tonight for game three. Shayna, what are your takeaways so far, and what do you think happens next in this series? I would have thought after that bad first period Tampa Bay had in game one that you saw Vassie get locked in and that they would have trended in this direction. Like, if you told me the blowout was game one, then game two started poorly, and then Tampa Bay trended up. I think it would be a much different conversation. Um, the Lightning have to test Darcy Kemper because he has not been sharp this postseason. And he was, and I'm sure the players are having more concerted effort to insulate him. They did a damn good job of that. They swarmed offensively. Their offense came in waves. Their defense was excellent. It was, and you look at it, it's not like there were a ton of block shots. It was disrupting their ability to enter the zone and to break out of their own zone and outpossess their opponents. You know, you could look at shot attempts were slanted towards Colorado, scoring chances, off the rush, off the cycle, odd man rushes, every single category was not a little bit slanted towards Colorado. It was a massive margin that you wouldn't anticipate. So 
I don't want to count Tampa Bay out because we know, but these are not the New York Rangers. This is the best team in the league. They play at such a high speed that I don't like we know Tampa is the most adaptable team. So it's going to be really interesting. But this is such a challenge because they don't outright have the foot speed that Colorado has. And there's ways to look at it and go, this is our problem. But now it's figuring out one, how to fix it, two, how to execute it with that opponent still coming at you. So it's I'm so intrigued at where the series goes. And I, I do hope it goes longer than four games just for like an entertainment value. But the avalanche dunked on them in every which way. Um, so we'll see. And now Braden points a game time decision, too, for tonight. So that adds like another wrinkle in it, because here I was thinking maybe Point and Kucherov should be the one to punch. And then you go Palat Stamkos, you know, we know the magic those two can create. But now I don't know. I'm so curious to see how this goes. And Sarah, you know, Shana brings up some injuries for Tampa, but, you know, Colorado has some interesting wrinkles there, too. Burkowski, I believe, is officially out for Game 3. Is that correct? Yeah. I think. Yeah, he was traveling. Traveling. And Kadri yeah. is traveling, but I don't know that we believe he necessarily is in for Game 3. Um, Sarah, your take. Is this what you expected from the first two games? Commenting on these injuries, what influence they may have on both sides, and just what comes next? Yeah, I, first of all, I'm not counting Tampa Bay out. And I think, like, it's so touch and go in the Stanley Cup playoffs and finals that it's almost good. I don't know. Like, I'd rather lose 7-0 than lose, like, 3-2 because then you get that out of the way and you're like, okay, we're coming back home. Let's reset here. We need a total reset, whatever it is. Um, I like that they didn't pull Vasilevsky. I like they it's their ride or die, you know. I, I kind of respected that. I I don't think I'd respect that for maybe thirty one other teams, but I respect that because of Vasilevsky and who he is and his playoff experience, you know. So, oh my God, though that was the game. <laughs> hey, I, I don't. I think it was more impressive that they held. Tampa to zero goals than it was that they scored seven of their own like they it was just a clinic that might have been the most dominant like and people are Tampa Bay is tired shut up I think the avalanche are really good and they're very it was just an absolute clinic and McKinnon barely scored McCarr scored twice at the end there and that was pretty good for him kale times two or yeah kale times two the, the lettuce that you're sending in the group chat I'm like lettuce times two but he is just he makes it look so easy I feel like I could have done that he's just like okay I'm just gonna shovel this in and it's gonna be a goal so good for him shorthanded on the power play no big deal yeah he learned that from our friend of the pod Johnny Laz at UMass there you go power kill power kill baby we love him we love him Mm -hmm. and and you know it is interesting Sarah I think you hit on something so important you know everyone's like oh my gosh look what's happening Tampa Bay's offense was dead on arrival in game two. I mean, and, you know, you look at not pulling Vasilevsky, but where, where was the challenge from Tampa? I mean, their offense was absolutely anemic. And, you know, this is the wrinkle, however, comma. And this stat comes from Scott Malone, who is actually um, the Emmy Award winning producer of the Kraken pre and post game shows, which we love. He's my producer. Um, and he tweeted this out after the game. Avs scored four of seven goals in game two to Vasilevsky's blocker side. Per stats by stats, now 42% of goals against Vasilevsky have gone to the blocker side in this Stanley Cup playoffs. 
47.4 of the regular season goals against him this year were blocker side. The NHL average is 41.9. Is this an inefficiency in Vasilevsky's game? Is this just the playoffs? What are we making of Vasilevsky Shayna? I do think it's a bit of a weakness in his game, and it's nice to know that even the elite have them. You know, you're all not perfect. Uh, no, but I do. I did, so I got a text actually in the first period of the game that was like, do you think they're targeting his blocker side? And I was like, it does feel like it. And if you break down the tape, why wouldn't you? He's allowed one five-hole goal this entire postseason, and it was to Colorado, so they can beat him more ways. But if you know that's a, a weakness, why not go for it? If you're breaking down the tape, every number says this is where he allows the most goals. Of course you're going to target that. But, you know, things happen quickly and you're just going to try to get pucks on net to a sum. You know, the shot selection, we're not expecting Colorado to only target that. But, I mean, he had no defense. As much as I look at it, I'm like, maybe they're targeting a weakness for him. He had no defensive support. So there's only so much he could have even done. Yeah, 7-0 is not all on him. And I, it's again, it feels like more of the O, like, where where is the boys? Where'd they go? <laughs> that's my anal- that's my analysis. That- Chicago Blackhawks, I hope you're listening. <laughs> All right. Well it certainly has been an interesting start to this series, but like I said, I keep thinking of um, game two against the Rangers and Shana makes the good point. This isn't the Rangers. Um, but this was a Tampa Bay team that looked completely befuddled after two games in New York and came back to to win four so we'll see if Tampa Bay has something left in the tank I have to think they do I cannot imagine this being a sweep but I am often and frequently wrong so we'll see Um, we will be back with you to break down game three and don't forget we are going to have a live game watch for game four we were talking about it before we started recording and friends it's going to be a ride so get ready for it Um, are you making the signs can we do the signs? I will make the signs. Sure. Okay. Make well, you Everyone have has your... to drink every time I say fuck. Get ready, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're, Rangoon will be there. We're going to have some special guests. And yes. that, what is that? Wednesday at 8. Eastern. Yeah. Do not yes. miss it and bring a drink or whatever you want. Hi, Rangoon. Yeah, if, you really, if you really don't want to drink, we understand. Yes. But at least have a good snack. There you yeah. go. If you have both, that's even better. Please have a good snack. Please I don't know what's snack. legal where you are. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah, have a good time. We're just here to hang out. There you go. We're here for the vibes. Here for the vibes. Yes. All right. Well, we end every episode with Fuck, Mary Kill. And today's is a fun one. Sarah, I'm going to have you go first because you've already hinted at this. And this is Fuck, Mary Kill, Stanley Cup Final Narratives. Your options are It's the Altitude in Colorado. Number two, Tampa Bay is tired. Number three, the value of going all in at the deadline. Sarah, go. Um, I'm marrying going all in at the deadline because it's the easiest way to look smart when it's not like obviously Florida went all in too, but I didn't like some of Florida's moves and Giroux wasn't as good as we all thought he was going to be. So you're going to shit on Giroux and not Ben Chirot? No, that, I didn't Come like on, Ben Chirot move. Come on, fucking Ben Chirot. I'm sorry, I can't. That's one I will keep banging that, that, that drum because 
who the fuck would spend a first round pick for Ben Chirot, yes. who was their worst player in the postseason? Well, we have the That's Sorry. why you gotta it's go the all the in. <laughs> <laughs> but, huh, the Lightning and the Avs both made moves, so no matter who wins, I have that narrative on deck. I am fucking the altitude because that is just hilarious. Like, I. I I had people genuinely, like, I thought this was just a joke we were all doing, but I had people genuinely in my mentions being like, no, this is hard. Like, Olympians train 30 minutes from where I live because of the altitude. So I'm like, you guys, please. I I think I, it's like a placebo effect, too. Like, I I think I tricked myself into having altitude sickness when I was covering the abs, um, canes. I was like, I I don't feel so good, guys. But um, I don't know. And I am killing the, oh, God, what was the other one? Tampa Bay is tired. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm killing that because that's the one that's actually annoying. Like, no. Just, we, how quickly we change our mindsets from game to game. Like, oh, there's no one stopping them on game one. Or, like, they played, they haven't even played their best yet. Wow, watch out. And then it's, oh, they're just tired. So, just stop. Shana, go. It'll kill Tampa Bay is tired because we're all fucking tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're writing about hockey. Don't see me getting on the ice, and I'm fucking tired. We're all goddamn tired all the goddamn time. And Tampa Bay, we talk about, you know, oh, they played long. It's not like we're going into this with 14 games versus 21. We then, if if Colorado came in, to this series and they weren't sharp, then it would have been they were so rusty because they got overrested. So you can be underrested, overrested, but there's no happy medium. Fuck off. Kill that. Um, I will fuck altitude sickness uh, because it, that, you know, that's something that they did not get as much time to train for. They only played in Colorado once during the year. We know how teams tend to prepare when they're playing in Colorado because it is a big difference. Uh, when I went to Colorado we went to the Red Rocks and people would work out on like the stadium what's it like an amphitheater there and we would see people they were like a whole group of people doing it they would jump down from one step get down and do a push-up and do it through the whole stadium the most fit people I have ever seen in my life so it's real I get it all right I would die there in a minute (laughs) (laughs) and I will marry going all in at the deadline because I do think that there's value to using the deadline to, to support your team, and I think the way that Colorado and Tampa have done it are the right ways to do it because instead of – they move the right pieces, you know, they focused on supporting and keeping their core together and then using the deadline to get better. They were smart at when they decided to spend. You know, Ryan McDonough was a splashy one before that they won the actual cup, but he was not a rental. When they used it for rentals with – Barkley Gaudreau and Blake Coleman, it was for a year and a half of each of them, and they won two cups. So here they are spending at the right time to supplement their roster where they needed it. And the same with Colorado. It's not like they're spending a ton at the deadline. They know the right time to make the move, and look at how it's paying off. All right, well, I will marry dead going all in, but my reason is because I like chaos. So I like all the, like, Ben Chirot move was terrible. Look at this pearl of a find. Like, I'm here for all of that. So Who's the pearl? Uh, well, we're, we were supposed to think it was Brandon Hagel, right? But now I don't know. Let's see. Let's think. Arturi Lekkinen. Sure. Yes. Oh, look at No, look she's at not. Oh, she's attacking me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, what are you doing? 
See, Rangoon disagrees with all of us. All right, so I will uh, marry going all in because I'm team chaos. I will... I will kill Tampa Bay as tired because if we believe my narrative, which is that Tampa Bay is winning mostly because of their will, um, they can overcome fatigue at this point. And therefore, I will kill Altitude because while I am with Shayna and I do think that it's real, um, I think that at this point in the season for NHL athletes, like we've gotten to this point, it's not going to be that big of a difference at this point in this season. It's not like this is like the first time ever they played in altitude and oh my god, if altitude was this big of a thing, Colorado would have a perfect home record. So that's my that's opinion. That's a good point. All right. Did I miss anything, my friends? No, if any Tampa Bay Lightning players want to disagree with us though, hit us up. Join too many men. You wanna talk about altitude, you wanna talk about being tired, anything like it. If we've screwed it up, please join the podcast. I'm sure you're all yes. listening today. Obviously. Please join us. It's your pregame routine, we know. Nap of course. Too many men. Again. Yes. <laughs> Nothing gets you hyped like a Too Many Men podcast, and they're going to run through a brick wall after listening to this. Woo-woo. Okay. <laughs> All right, my friends. Um, please, as always, be sure to give us a review on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you listen to, but only if it's nice. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. Please check out our merch. You can order that delightful Too Many Men drinkware to drink your favorite beverage or snack out of when you join us for our game watching game four. Uh, you can also check out our website at toomanymenpod.com. Once again, we continue to brighten the spotlight on our LGBTQIA plus friends during this Pride Month, but we value them, support them, and respect them every day, all day long. Uh, remember, Sarah's favorite exit, racism is bad, sexism is bad, and as always, until we talk again, be good to one another. Love you. Bye. I like the nod of approval at the end. You're like, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>